If you need Bibles, um, you raise your hand and we'll hand some Bibles to you. And we're in um, we're in chapter we're in chapter 32, guys. Just to let you know. I'm so encouraged. Um, I hope you're encouraged as uh, Mac Avers uh, to see God's redemptive work uh, in the life of a brother. And all he's doing is retelling the story of Jesus and almost retelling the story of all of our lives. Uh, because if you say yes to Jesus, if you say Jesus is your king, if you, if you are a Christian here today, uh, at some point you had to be undone with yourself and realize you needed to trust the Savior. And so um, thank you for making it so clear, bro. And um, hopefully we'll be even more, even as encouraged um, as we read in Genesis. Let me just give you a, a snapshot real quick in Genesis, as we're in Genesis 32. Uh, this is a very interesting passage because I tell you something, it's a very worshipful passage for our body. Um, I, I usually will, will, I'll be teaching or whatever, and then I'll get emotional or whatever. This passage is is is, is, um, is really. Um, Maybe emotional because it makes me think about you guys a lot. So I'm just telling you up front. Uh, usually something happens and it's all weird, but right now I'm just telling you up front um, so you will be prepared. Uh, basically, we're dealing with a guy. We've been, we've been dealing with the story of Jacob for a while now. Um, and, and as you know, we talked about the, the, the motif of you have the creation, chapters 1 through 11, uh, and you have basically like this patriarchal motif that we're, that we're hitting into right now. Um, uh, chapter 12 through 50, and it hones in on a specific family, uh, and we see this, this this very very short generation. We see basically you have, I mean, and, and, and get, give give Jacob grace and have perspective as you look at his life, because we can look at what's going on. We can think you are so silly. What are you doing? But when you think about it, Jacob has only this whole God thing. I mean, for heaven's sake, I mean he hasn't even said I am sent me yet, right? So he hasn't even done the whole Yahweh thing. Okay, so so basically. Jacob is, is, is three generations into a relationship with the king of the universe. That makes sense? We have thousands of years of information and journey uh, and tradition. Jacob has, he has, his, he has his granddaddy and his daddy. Okay? And so here he is with this, this new relationship. Uh, but in essence, what we see, what we learn about Jacob is through this story, we realize that he's, a, that he's a cheat, uh, he's a scoundrel, he's very passive, uh, he's always trying to work his own plan, doing his own thing. Uh, we see this through him still in birthrights. Uh, we, you know, we see it in the beginning. We see him even trying to manipulate his plan with uh, getting a wife. Uh, we see him uh, lie to his brother, lie to his dad. He runs from Laban. Uh, there's a huge journey here of us seeing a man who's, in, who's just an absolute wreck, okay? And so um, that's where we are. And so we enter into this story in chapter 32. And I want us to read here, and I want you to just, just as much as you can, put yourself uh, in that day. Put yourself in this time. Be a fly on the wall and walk with me, okay? Because we're going to hit some, a, very, a very interesting passage, okay? And I want to give you one more uh, caveat, too, is that, is that I always talk about, uh, I'm very nervous when people make allegory, when people say, oh, this happened, so that applies here. But I, I'm proposing to you, this is one of the few times where you probably can do it, uh, and I'll explain why in a moment. So let's read and let's be encouraged. I hope you have your Bibles open. I'm going to go ahead and jump in and read real quick. 
Uh, it starts, it says, uh, Jacob, J- Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him, um, which is uh, very interesting. So Jacob now, you know, he's, he's told Laban, you know, I'm, I need to get away. I'm going to be my own man. You've been cheating me, robbing, stealing for, uh, for so long. Uh, then basically God blesses Jacob, and he gets very wealthy. Uh, basically, he gets a ton of back pay for all of his services of 20 years of serving the scoundrel who is just like him, Laban. And now he's um, on his way uh, back to his homeland. But now we've got some drama that's going to pop up already. I love this verse, first passage, though. Uh, it's very interesting uh, how, how flippant he is about the angel piece. You know, angels of God met him, and when Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. I just think that's, I, that's, this has nothing theology. I just think it's funny. When you see an angel, I think I'd be more surprised than this. But he's kind of chill with it. You know, hey, I was walking down the street, and then I saw an angel. Oh, and then, I, you know, then this happened. I think that's kind of weird. But... When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that, uh, that place Mahanaim. Then it says, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to see his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Okay, so he's going back to his land, but we have an issue. What was the issue when, when Jacob left, the last time he saw Esau, what did Esau want to do to him? Kill him. <laughs> right. So imagine, so, you know, the last time you were dealing with your brother, he was trying to figure out how he was going to murder you, right? Well, as soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill you, right? That's basically what was going on. So with that said, you have, you have verse 3 here. Uh, it says, uh, he goes to the land, the country of Edom. He instructed them, his people, this is what you are to say to my master Esau. You can already tell that there is some sort of sucking up happening here, I mean, right? If you call somebody master Okay, uh, that means you're trying to be in their good graces. And he says, your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, men servants and maid servants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. So what what is Jacob doing here? Right. He's kind of saying, look, man, I'm coming back. Uh, I just want to let you know, uh, Lord. Uh, I love you, and, and I'm, I'm rich now, uh, you know, and, and guess what? I got a couple, you know, Jaguars, and I got Escalade, and I got, I got some things, and, you know, I got this stuff, and if was mine is yours, and it was yours, you know, if you want this stuff, that's great. He's kind of like trying to set the stage here because he feels like, how do I encourage this man not to murder me, right? So that's what, so that's what he's doing. But, but notice this here. That's kind of worldly wisdom, but you still see Jacob, he's still, he's still a scoundrel, right? He's still, he, he sees the scenario, and he's still trying to manipulate and work his plan for his best interest. So this isn't good. I'm just trying, I'm trying to give you commentary on how this man is still thinking. We're still seeing him be all about himself, self-preservation, figuring out what I need to do to make sure I can stay in the game, right? Uh, verse 6, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. <laughs> I love this. I just love this. So you, you try to suck up a little bit, you know, hey, so I got this stuff, man. I've been, you know, working for a while. got the back pay. got, you know, got my checks, man. got all this stuff. You can have it. He says, okay, well, you tell, you tell Jacob, I'm coming. 400, I got 400 men. So, so Jacob was like, man, I'm surely going to get murdered, right? He's not going to just come with a big old pitchfork or something crazy. he got 400 homies. All right, he's ready to do work. So this is, in Jacob's mind, he's thinking, oh, my goodness. In verse 7, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and the camels as well. So he thought, okay, well, man, okay, how, am I, how do I still preserve here? Okay, 
Well, so that means he's going to probably take some stuff. He's going he's to beat me down. Maybe if I divide it, maybe if I can, I can get half of my stuff and keep it. So maybe I can figure this out, right? I don't have to lose everything. So maybe, okay, you, you would hate to be that one group, the sacrificial lamb group, right? Why don't you go be the first group, you know? I mean, sad to say, he probably had a few of his wives, like Leah or whatever, part of the first group. We're going to offer you. Hey, I'm just, read the Bible. You, we've been going through the text. It ain't me. He said he didn't like Leah. So he got the first group. We're going to offer Leah, right? We're going to, you know, the, the little, the little limp, limp, you know, lambs are going to get you killed. But we're going to keep the good stuff. He's a, he's a self-preserver. This is what he's doing, okay? Y'all think I'm a, I don't have any issue with Leah. Okay, I like her. I'm just telling you what happened in the Bible. Okay. He says, he thought if Esau comes in and attacks one group, uh, the group that is left may escape. Okay, so he's working his plan still, still a scoundrel. Then Jacob prayed, and this is what's interesting. So to his, again, three generations, right? He's the third generation of this whole, this, just, just having this reality that, man, there's a, uh, there's a king who's created everything and that he, he speaks to me and he's intimately involved in my life, right? I mean, you can imagine. So he's basically figuring this whole thing out. It says, and you don't see this much, you don't see, uh, very few times you see in the beginning stages of the scriptures between Genesis 12 and 32, uh, the men of God praying to the Lord. But you see here, Jacob prays to God. It says, then Jacob prayed. So after doing all of his scoundreling and, and figuring out how do I work my plan, how do I survive, what do I need to do, it's almost like he realizes, like, man, okay, he has 400 men. I have all this stuff. That wasn't a huge issue for him. Something's going to happen to me. Oh, my goodness. Man, let me pray. So he prays. And it's just interesting to me uh, when I think of my own life, and maybe as I talk with you and we do life together, it's funny how prayer is always the last resort. It's interesting how we go to the Lord when everything else, you know, you tried all your stuff and now you go to the Lord. I propose that's very stinking thinking is the Lord wants to be the first resource, not the last. Um, but what's cool about the Lord is Jesus is so gracious. Look what, he, look what happens here. He prays, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. Love what he does here. I'm not trying to provide um, a workshop on prayer, but, but notice a few things here. Notice that he, he's reminded of, he reminds himself, it's almost like his prayer. I think if, you, if you're going to take some insight here is that prayer is actually worship, right? So how do we, how do we receive word from the Lord? Uh, contrary to popular belief, it is not about, if you're new here or if you're a MacAver and you've, and you've been going through detox because you've had really bad theology, the mode of operation where you receive words from the Lord is not always supernatural, getting it from some, you know, medium. Okay? And I propose even last week we were trying to show you that most of the times those mediums are demonic. But actually, we get our words from the Lord through the scriptures, through the Bible. That's how, that's how the Lord talks to us, through the scriptures. And we talk back to God through prayer. Okay? Beautiful relationship. And so we see him in prayer doing something. He's worshiping the Lord, and he does that by reminding himself of what the Lord has done. Remember we talk about what worship is? Worship is responding to God based on who he is and what he's done. So he's saying, based on who you, this is who you are, Lord. And then he, and then he reminds himself of God's promises. You said you are going to do this. This is what you said. But the dude's about to kill me in about two days, not matching up. If I'm dead, how are you going to do these things? Right? This is his prayer. Uh, I want to continue to encourage us 
Praying God's word, again, we, we, we can manipulate that. And we can think, you know, God gives us, it could be a simple desire, it could be bad pizza. We, we don't know what it is. But we can often talk about our emotions or things that happen or us taking a step of faith. And then we try to put God's word on it and say, God promised me this. Bad, again, bad thinking about God, okay? The Lord speaks to you and your promises come through the scriptures. Through the scriptures. And, and most most of God's promises are more general revelation about the people of God and what he's promised his people, not specifically you and a pink Cadillac, right? None of that. But something specific about holiness and walking firmly with the Lord and him protecting you no matter what so that you might finish and run a race well. Those are the promises he's given those people who are committed to him. But all the specifics, you don't see that necessarily in the scripture. Just talking about how to view the scriptures, okay, guys? And how to view God's voice. God's voice speaks to us through the scriptures. His promises are from the scriptures. We don't, we don't manipulate those things. We trust the Lord in the midst of faith because his promises aren't specific. They're general about his glory and our delight as we submit to him. Does that make sense? He, gives, he gets a specific promise. He gets God telling him something and says, he says, hey, look, verse 10, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. He admits that, man, God, you've been so gracious to me. I I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two groups. He says, man, I crossed the Jordan. I had a stick, right? Not even two sticks. I had a stick. And look what you provided for me. You've given me all this stuff. He says, but now save me, verse 11. I pray from the hand of my brother Esau. It's very specific, which, which, which again shows that he realizes I'm, I'm undone. I'm, I, I, there's nothing more I can do. Here's my request. I need you to save me. Esau is about to murder me. He's about to kill me. I need you to save me. He says, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid if um, he will come and attack me and also the mothers, um, the mothers and with their children. Verse 12. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. This is your promises again. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams. It says 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. They had a lot of stuff. He put them in care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed uh, the one in the lead when my brother Esau meets you and asks, to whom do you belong and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say they belong to your servant Jacob. So what's happening here? So he's nervous. He seeks the Lord in prayer. He's like, wow, he's coming around, and then he covers his butt. Right? We do. You guys have never done that? Right? You, you try and do everything you can do, and you say, okay, I'm going to submit to the Lord. And you seek the Lord in prayer. Lord, would you do this for me? But just in case you don't, let me, let me do this, 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 and this, this, and this. That's what's happening here. He still doesn't get it. He still doesn't get that the Lord is fighting for the Lord, but in doing so, he's fighting for us. He doesn't get that. And so he's still trying to cover his butt, even though he seemingly has prayed to the Lord. So he says, hey, make sure um, that you tell Esau, this is from from me. Verse 18, then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. Uh, They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. 
uh, he also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. He says, you are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet them. So Esau's, you know, Esau's walking, and wow, this huge entourage of stuff. He's like, wow, this is from your servant Jacob. Wow, that's a lot of cool things. He's walking. Here's another one. Wow. There's this parade of gifts, like Price is Right, just stuff just flowing. You know, you showcase showdown. You're just like, whoa, a new car too and a boat. And a, wow, this is crazy. So he says, verse 20, and be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us. He says, for he thought I will pacify him with these gifts I'm sending on ahead. Still thinking. See, he's still trying to connive. Still trying to work his plan. He says, verse 21, so Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. All right, here we go, guys. So he spends the night in the camp. It says, that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, his 11 sons, and crossed uh, the ford of the Jabbok. Um, After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And notice something here. It says, so Jacob was left alone. Okay, And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he, was wrestled, as he wrestled with the man. Now, here's what I want to do with this passage. Okay, this is a very intense passage. What I want to do is I want to read the rest of this passage, okay? And then I just want to try something new uh, because there's a lot of stuff, a lot of intricacies here. I want to go back and just have some bullet points on what, on what seems to be happening here, okay? Uh, and hopefully uh, this will encourage us as we walk with the Lord, okay? But I want you to, don't miss this, I'm going to read this slow. So it says, he was left alone, and then what Jacob does as a man, he begins to wrestle with a man. A man appears, and he begins to wrestle. And, as they, and he's wrestling hard, and it says he's wrestling all night, right? He wrestles with him till daybreak. So they're wrestling and fighting, okay? And then all of a sudden, it seems like, wow, they're kind of like mat- evenly matched. And, but, but then this guy touches Jacob's hip and breaks it. <laughs> you see this? His hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. He touched the socket of his hip. And then the man said, let me go for this daybreak. But Jacob replied, I would not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Notice that, I, you know, I would, not, I would not let you go until you, until you bless me. And he says, what's your name? Which I'm proposing, um, as you'll see in a moment, when he says, what's your name? He's actually affirming that, okay, I'll bless you. Because the way he blesses him is by giving him a new life. The way he blesses him is by recreation. Um, He says, Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, sorry, guys. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him, and he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Which, by the way, uh, we can see traditions as a downer on the Hebrew saw tradition as education. Okay, let me take you a few things real quick. So what do we learn, guys? All right, why does God do this? Why does God do this in verse 24 through 32? 
we have this journey. We have a man who's this model, just this, this despicable character, but, being, but God has been so gracious to him the whole time. He continues to follow the same mode of operation, even though he's seen God's blessing. And then we have this, this weird scenario where Jacob wrestles with God. And, and guys, I want to be really careful here because what I don't want to do is I don't want to mess up the text. I don't want you to gain bad Bible study methods here. But I do. But, but it, seems like, it seems like there's a reason why he does this. There's a reason why God wrestles with Jacob here. And so I want to, I want to with, with great timidity, just, just talk through this. But understand, it seems that this is one of those few times where God is saying, I'm trying to show you something bigger with the wrestling match. Yes, Liz. A physical man. Yeah, the text is very clear. It's a physical man. He touches him. With, yeah. Right. This is not a weird episode of Lord of the Rings where he's like, you know, it's none of that. This is, this is some dude. He wrestling with some dude. Boop. Oh, you know, that's what happened. So, so why does God do this? So, good question, though. Um, so he struggled with God. Okay, what's going on there with the struggle? Let me just... Uh, it was God who allowed Jacob to triumph in the fight. First of all, I'm just, just, I was going to pop these out real quick. So you have the struggle here, and I want to propose that you, you're, don't, don't, you're viewing it wrong if you're thinking actually that Jacob is actually fighting with God and he's hanging with God. But in, but in all actuality, and the reason why we know that, that, that what he's trying to show in this passage, guys, is you have a man who's struggling, and what God does, he's so gracious, is that God is, is, is so cool to say, I'm going to, give, I'm going to provide the strength uh, enough to just struggle with you but not overpower you. We do this, I do this with my kids. We, if you have kids, right, you're wrestling with your kids. Like, I don't go throw Jacob and Joe through the window, you know. <laughs> I'm strong! <laughs> like, I don't, right? He's my son. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, Jake, so Joe comes to grab my leg and kind of grabs my leg, and I'm like, oh, oh, you know, and then every once in a while I'm just like, oh, they'll fall down, and I tickle him, and I do, you know, and I'll throw him on the couch, and, and we do that thing. And then every once in a while, though, I want to remind them, I'm daddy. Every once in a while, I'll grab him real quick and do something. And he'll go, whoa, whoa, dude, calm down, daddy. You know? And I just want him to know, anytime, I can do whatever I want because I'm bigger than you. And so what God does here in the limp piece, when, when, he, when he touches the socket, he's, he's, he's trying to show something big here, and we're going to go through this. It's first he's just saying, look, I'm God. I can destroy you at any time. I could totally destroy you. And that's why I just touched your socket and it broke. I didn't even have to touch your socket. I could have told your socket to break with my word. And so what I want you to know through that is that I'm letting you do this. I'm providing you the victory. You're not doing this. I'm doing it. Your wrestling match is a wrestling match because I'm allowing it to be. And whenever I want it to end, it'll end. He triumphs in a fight because of God and God alone. He did absolutely nothing. Don't miss that. He's doing stuff, but he's doing absolutely nothing. Are you hearing me, buddy? He's trying to tell the church something here. Don't miss something. He calls him Jacob, but then he renames him Israel. Israel is the name of the new nations, who's the name of the spiritual Israel, which is the church. He's trying to tell us something as a people. 
that this fight here I'm proposing is way more epidemic than we think. It's not about just Jacob here. It is really about him trying to talk about something with the covenant community in mind. And that's why this, this passage has been encouraging me. But man, it has been it's intense. Look what happens here, guys. Jacob prayed to be rescued from his brother. Um, uh, but, but check this out. He survived something more dangerous which provides perspective. Okay, my point there is this. So notice, he's like, Lord, um, save me from my brother who's going to kill me. Very interesting. He, he does all his ploys and stuff. He gets alone, and then God puts him in a way more dangerous situation than Esau. So who do you want to wrestle with, Esau or me? So all of a sudden, right after that, you scared of Esau. You got God here. God preserves your life. And notice, in the Hebrew, it's so beautiful. He uses the same words. He says, preserve me, God, and at the, preserve me from Esau. But then at the end of the passage of him wrestling with God, he says, guess what? God, I saw God face to face, and my life is being preserved. And the reason why he does that is to just remind the, the reader that, guess what? God preserved me, so now I'm convinced whatever, I don't know what it's going to look like, but he's going to preserve me from Esau. I'm proposing to you that the wrestling match was an answer to prayer. He leaves the wrestling match knowing, okay, God's going to protect me. But wait a minute, what does that look like? What if he'd have got killed? Was he still protected? We'll go there in a moment. What do we learn? He gets a new name because he's a new man, guys, new creation. So the reality is this. What God is trying to do in our community, we come here, it's not sexy, it's hard. And what we are trying to help people understand by God's grace, because God has done it in us, is that we're not playing church. It's not about this service. We are trying to tell people that by God's grace, we are evil and messed up. And then what God did was he took each one of us in our trajectories and all of our messed upness in our, in our relationships, and he said, I made you a new person now. You're not just doing good things, Eric. I've done something in you and made you a new person, Eric. You are now a child of the king. And now because of that, because of the grace I have bestowed upon you, because you were dead in sin, and then what I did because of my love is I sent my son to be murdered for you, and now I've given you his righteousness. Now you live a life, not because you're righteous, but because of what Jesus has done. And now you, what you're, you're here in a community, and all of us have been together here because we're telling a community that Christ is real, and this is not about simple religion. This is not about just going to church. This is not about just being nice. It's not about playing games. This is about seriously saying I submit to a king who has made me a new person. He's given me a whole new identity, a whole new agenda. My whole life is different because Jesus now reigns in my life. That's, that's what we're doing here. That's why you're here. Jesus reigns in our life, so now the, what we would do is different than what we do now in Christ. He gets a new name. You're now a new person. You got... You, you, I got you. I'm going to, do you understand? I'm going to, I got to toughen you up because now you're going to be the leader of the nations. Do you understand in scripture? We are the spiritual Israel. This guy, really? Look what he does. He asked him his name because it is an admission of guilt. I love this. The reason why he asked him his name, so he says, you know, so what's your name? Oh, Jacob. Almost like, hey, so who are you? A deceiver. That's the name means deceiver. Who are you? 
deceiver? Oh, okay, you get it? No longer are you a deceiver. You're not a manipulator. You no longer have to be just living in evil and folly. And you don't have to go around self-preserving. But now you're Israel. What's Israel mean? Guess what? You don't have to go on and keep fighting for yourself. All throughout Jacob's life, his whole journey has been what? Him figuring out how to get more money, how to do this, how to get the wife, how do I manipulate, and how do I fight for myself? What does Israel mean? God fights. I'm wrestling with you now. I'm fighting with you now because I want you to understand something. I do the fighting. And the reason why you triumph is not because you're doing something, but because I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for you. God fights. He's saying, no longer will you get it. You don't have to fight. Let me fight. And in, in, in midlife, uh, when you see a changing of name in the midlife, it's super substantial, guys, right? Someone's going through their folly. That's us. We're, we're doing our thing. We're, we're, we're manipulating people. We're, we're pr- pr- promiscuous. We're cheating on tests. We're doing whatever we're, we're, we're doing. We're worshiping stuff. And then God tells you, midlife, 18 years old, 22, 35, 48, he says, stop. You have a new destiny now. Midlife change. We see it, we see it here. We see it in Sarah. We see it in Abraham. God fights a rule. God rules. The people of Israel, check this out, will be reminded of the meaning of which he wrestled with God and prevailed. When they see this, they remember. Because they know the name. I want us to get this. So that's, we have one, we've gone through two. I just want to keep pop, popping up. So look, check this out. What is he learning from this piece? See, his whole life, guys, he's been trying to control his fate. And here he is in a situation where only the mercy of God can save him. He's super powerless at this point. God has all the power. And that's why I love this whole piece of the rising sun. Notice, notice the beautiful piece here. So he's fighting in the dark. God is protecting him. God sustains him. God is the one who's powerful. And then his name gets changed. And then what, guess what happens? The sun comes up. New morning, y'all. He's a new person. He has a new day. He has a new destiny. New era of his career, guys. What you saw last there, he's not self-sufficient. We'll put these online for you guys. At this point, God is trying to show him something. Your whole life, you've been trying to do your own thing. You are not self-sufficient. When you hear this, don't think miles away, oh, poor Jacob, oh, he's not self-sufficient. Oh, think about us. Think about us wrestling with the Lord. Why does God do this? The story sums up Israel's national destiny, guys. Notice this. When God seems to be fighting against them, he's ultimately on their side. This is something. So here he is fighting. He's fighting Jacob. But the whole point there is that sometimes it seems like God is warring against us. And the reason why he's warring against us is because he's trying to purge sin out of you and me. He's warned against us because we're not being about his ways. But in essence, he warned against us because he's actually on our side. Are you hearing me, guys? So in our lives right now, in this room, there's many of us right now, we have our own desires. Here's what I want to be about. And God has been warring with you. And he's warring with our local body. 
Because we got all of our own stuff. And God is going, I'm at war with you, and you're going to think, man, nothing goes wrong. Everything I do is just crazy, and there's so much drama in my life, and why is my relationship messed up, and why am I not the, the kind of man I need to be to my kids, and, and why am I walking around and I don't have a, a, a wife or a husband, and we're going around, we get, we're, and we have all these issues that we focus in on, and God is saying, I'm not warring against you. Actually, me doing these things is because I'm actually for you. Is that he wrestles with Jacob there, to remind Jacob that I'm the one who's fighting for you. And i got to get you to, to get out of this funk of thinking it's about you. Can you just hit it, please? Thank you. God would triumph, and in God's victory, that's when Israel triumphs. What is, he's trying to help us understand something. God triumphs. He, see, God is will be glorified. The point of him fighting almost, as it were, against us so that he can show us that he's for us is so that we will get on his agenda. Continue on, please. God didn't come to destroy Jacob but to bring him mercy. He could have destroyed him, guys. What, what is he trying to show us? What is he showing us? What, so think about it. Israel, what is he trying to show us? He could have destroyed him, touched his hip, broke his hip. Why play around in? Because he's merciful. He's saying, I could have destroyed you, and I didn't. Please Continue on, please. God was voluntarily allowing Jacob to prevail so that he could show him mercy and not destroy him. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful story of what God does. Have we seen that story again? Where God is like, I could destroy you, but I'll be merciful to you. We see this at the cross. We see God saying, I could destroy you, but I'll actually destroy my son. I'm going to continue on, guys. God of Jacob's God in a personal way. What is he trying to teach us? Why does he do this? He's trying to help us see something. God isn't just out here somewhere. You know, even in the beginning, he says, you know, God of my fathers. And he's saying, no, I'm wrestling with you, Jacob. I'm your God, too. I'm your God. One more, guys. Here's the thing. So we look at all that. You look at, you look at Jacob could be destroyed, God being merciful to him. I hope, I hope, I hope there's something. Man, I just, I, I, I love this text because, guys, you know what it reminds me of? This body. In a good way. I watch you guys fight for the Lord here. I watch you wrestle, wrestle with God because you're like, man, why can't I have more stuff? Why do I got to be in the hood? Why do, why do I have to love my neighbors, you know, and then they all just basically dog me and I gotta, they're still my neighbors. What do I do now? And you're fighting and you're, and you're, and you're, and you're reading the Bible and you're praying and you're, and you're seeking the Lord and you're confessing sin and then it's hard. No one's coming over to your house. And community is not what you thought it was because it's actually real here. So you're not just having parties every day in your home. And it's not sexy here. And you wrestle because then you walk outside the, 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 the drama of our community and then you see all the things you could have and the things you, and the things you could do and what you could be. And you wrestle with God. Well, why can't I have all those things? 
And then we fall into great temptation and craziness where we begin to think that this is works-based. Well, okay, i got to do this to be a good guy. And you begin to do this for the wrong reasons. You know, you think, well, I'm going to get more favor from God if I'm poor or if I live around poor people. And if I just live in a nice suburban area and have a nice car and still serve the Lord, then I'm less on a totem pole. And you, you, you miss the point. And you think we're here to gain some accolades from the Lord. And then, you, and, then we're, and, then we, and then we can get caught up in judging. How about I talk about me? And then I can get caught up. I can get caught up in judging people and thinking, well, yeah, you got it easy. You can, you can have all this stuff, and you, can, you don't have to worry like we have to worry. You don't have to worry about your cars getting stolen. You don't have to worry about you know, my, your wife walking outside and someone doing something to her. And you just have this downward spiral. But there's a good side. We can repent. And then we can look at the world and we can be honest and critique the world and say, why does the world tell us in evangelical America that, that it's really about a little Jesus on the side, but it's really about worshiping all my desires? And we can, we can accurately look at the world and say, why won't the world give up something for Christ? And we don't have to be jaded. We don't have to be upset. But we can be honest. And we can say, let's honestly look. And that's the thing. In this body, here's what people leave. Because we make you honestly look at your flesh and say, why won't you serve here? You don't have to, but why won't you? And people get upset and they leave because you go, how dare you call out my sinful flesh? We won't let you have two gods here. And you can leave here and you can talk about me. Or anybody here. But we won't let you worship mammon and God. And so we got a lot of work to do, guys. We got to get past the jadedness of automatically discounting people because they're somewhere else in a nice community and they're serving the Lord with great integrity. We have to learn how to have a balanced view. At the same time, not be naive that there's no reason that there's 80% of the Christians in suburban America. Somebody's lying. We're fighting, guys. We're fighting. We're fighting. Let's keep fighting. So the resolution piece. See, the resolution, you look at all this, and you go, man, well, you know, whenever I go to church, in an evangelical church, aren't you supposed to, like, Open up the Bible, and then there's a huge catastrophic issue in verse 1. And by verse 26, it's all happy. Right? Where I learned the three things I'm supposed to do to be more successful as a Christian. The two ways to love my wife better and have great sex. Right? Isn't that, isn't that what it's about here? Isn't that, right? The four ways to make more money and also give to the poor when you want to. Why is it so, why is it so structured? Where's the happy ending, Eric? He gets the name changed, but you haven't seen any repentance. We don't even know if he's changed. I think that's his point. Christianity is messy. I think that's his point. He makes, you, he makes us leave. I remember I had a guy come to me, uh, first two years of ministry, Came up at the service. I'm teaching. He's like, Eric, I'm, I struggle. You know, I just don't. I don't like when you teach. Why, why, man? He says. He says, because you know, like I, I went to this other church, and man, he he had like four points, and I, I felt like I went home and I was able to have 
four main points, and sometimes, you know, every week you just say, have more faith. That's what he said. I said, wow. I said, I, I, I think you need to have more faith. If we're true about the scriptures, there is no pony show and, and here are the four things. God says at the end, he, basically, I can, we can just, God's good and we're bad and, and have faith. Continue on, please. We think, give your life to Jesus. This is how we think of Christian. Give your life to Jesus and he will fill in the blank. He will make my life better. He will, you know, give me peace. He will, and you have all this laundry list of man-centered theology. That's what, that's, what, that's what happens to us if we're not careful in our body. And I'm proposing to you, he has a lot of promises. But I don't know if, that, I don't know if that's the way to go. If you can continue on, please. Because we think, well, man, if there's no resolution, is God leading? If there's no return on investment, if I'm not seeing something come in my lap right now, is, is this really from the Lord? And we start, and so we question sovereignty and God's reign based on what we get. Well, man, well, my, well, my, my husband's still mad at me. Well, my son's not talking to me. I thought you said, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we want the return on investment. Where, where is my happy life, Eric? I've been here two years. Why can't I still pay my bills? And we actually have the audacity to think that God owes us something. And then you came here like, well, I came here, now God make my life better. Almost like you're the God. That's not Christianity. Now, Christianity is gracious. The Lord Jesus is loving and kind, and he comforts us. But let me t- it, here's, what, here's what's happening here in this passage, and here's what's happening in Christianity, guys. If you can go on. The goal of your life is not resolution. It's trust. What God is trying to do in all of us, the miss is he wants us to trust him. That's his point. The chapter ends, you don't know if Esau is going to kill him. He doesn't know that. He can walk up to Esau. Esau kills him in the story. Right? And then guess what you got to do as a Christian? You got to now redefine what success is. <laughs> That's what God does. I love he does that in the passages all throughout scripture. Is we have a preconceived notion of how God should act, then he acts totally different, then we get pissed. That's what happens in the Bible, right? Because God wants to bring us to our knees to say, no, 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 no. I'm God and you're not. I didn't ask you to understand what I'm going to do and how I should do it and when I'm going to do it. I asked you to trust. I asked you to trust. That means if you live here 10, 15 years and no one comes to Christ, and you share Christ with hundreds of people, is your life a failure? No! No! Faithfulness, consistency, passion for Christ. But, But that's why I love this body, because you guys exude that. You guys model that, and you're fighting hard. And I'm just asking you to continue to understand that the Lord is pleased. You're wrestling. And God is saying that there will be a new dawn. He will fulfill his promises. His promises to make us the people he's called us to be and to make new earth what he's called it to be. And that's our hope. That's our hope. 
That's our hope. And if you don't get that, if you're here and you think we're just about building houses and giving people jobs, man, you have missed us. And I apologize because there's something drastically wrong about what I'm saying up here or something. Because we are here because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to validate his reign over all creation and said those people who would submit to my reign, who would repent of sin and trust me as their king and savior will experience life to the full. That's why we're here. And everything we do is because of Christ and Christ in us and us worshiping God. Our lives are a worship service to our king. That's why we're here. Don't get it twisted. If you are here and you play in church, I hope you are extremely convicted right now to not play church. Do not play church here. Wrestle with the gospel. Wrestle with the reality that Christ is saying your life is absolutely futile. It is fake. If you have not given yourself to Christ, if you have not submitted to the lordship of our king, if you have not said, Lord, you are everything and I struggle with pornography and I struggle with being, being a man of faith and I struggle with, with, with cheating in my job and I struggle with having a wandering eye, but Lord, I submit all of my evil to you and will you be my king? And will you make me who you've already made me inside because I've given my life to you by faith? That's the gospel. Nothing less. A totally subservient understanding of Jesus as our Savior and King who died for us and as our Lord who reigns for us. We're going to worship the Lord. I think this is the most amazing body that I have ever been a part of. I adore you guys. I am humbled that I get to walk down the street and see you guys fighting, see you guys serving and being committed to the people here and being committed to each other and wrestling with sin and trusting in an apathetic area, knowing that racism is encouraged even in the church in our community, knowing that being an apathetic a money mongrel is encouraged in our community, knowing that weak theology and totally self, self-worship is encouraged and standing here and saying, we will tell a gospel that is actually absolutely looking like unorthodoxy here because it's really about the serving king. I am honored to be able to fight with you. Let's worship our Lord. We're going we're gonna to do tithe and offering right now. And I just want us to remember that what's happening in the wrestling of Jacob, it seems to me that he wants us to get to a place where we say, wow, I need to trust my king. One song. <laughs> Let's, um, if you're new here, I just want to encourage you guys.